a cup of coffee, a car wash, a quick lunch, things I do every day without a thought, a few minutes here, a few dollars there. I get caught up in today, in my busy schedule, in my own needs. But you call me to more. What if I invest my time and money in internal things instead of temporary things? What if I invest in thousands of people around me that don't know Christ? What if I look beyond today? Can I really make a difference? Is it worth it? What if I gave generously? Well, that is the question uh, that we are asking ourselves uh, during this season that we're calling Next Gen, this six weeks uh, that we are spending together as a family of faith here at Southwinds. And I want to welcome you to week number three of, of this six weeks of Next Gen. And today we are talking about everyone's favorite subject of all, giving. Uh, did you know that um, money is one of America's top five fears? Uh, number five in America's top five fears is the fear of death. Number four is actually the fear of poverty or the loss of money. Number three, insects. Number two, heights. And the number one fear in all of America is Donald Trump's hair. <laughs> actually, actually, the uh, number one fear is public speaking. And I just think about this. People, as a general rule, would rather be dead than deliver a eulogy. Now... If you consider that, think about how I might be feeling right now because public speaking is number one. Uh, number four fear is money. And today I'm publicly speaking about money. Well, actually, really my, my, my biggest fear as pastor here is that you're a guest at Southwinds and maybe this is the first time you've ever come to visit us. And the reality is we don't, we don't talk about money and about giving much at all. You just happen to visit on this day. So I want to say... As we are talking about it today, um, you can relax as a guest. Uh, we are not coming after your money in any way, shape, or form, because what I'm going to do today is I'm talking to family, okay? So if you're a guest, you can just kind of observe and look on. And uh, at Southwinds, at Southwinds we, we believe, we really do believe that God has called us to reach our region, uh, the region of Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop and share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. And, and a part of what that will require, just part, but an important part, is generous and even sacrificial giving from everyone who's part of the Southwinds family. And what I want to do today is I want to help you see that the way that most of us look at giving, the way that most of us look at, at generosity is actually turned around, backwards, upside down from God's point of view. See, from God's point of view, which is also known as reality, all right, just be, be clear on that. From God's point of view, also known as reality, we actually get more than we give every time we give. 
We always get more back as we, we give. We get so many benefits from the Lord when we're generous. And it's actually, it's actually just how God made the universe to run. Now, I want to tell you a story to kind of get us in the spirit of this turned around backwards, upside down thing. This is a story you've heard before, but actually you probably never have heard it quite like this. It's the story of Rendersella. Once upon a time, are you ready? Just want to make sure. Once upon a time in a corn fun tree, there lived a very beautiful burl named Rendersella. Now, Rendersella lived with her mugly other and her two sad bisters. And in that same corn country, there lived a very Pransom Hintz. One day, the Pransom Hintz decided to have a Bansy Fall. He invited people from Riles Amound, especially the Pitch Reeple. Rendersella's mugly other and two sad bisters went out to buy some Drancy Fesses for the Bansy Fall. But Rendersella could not go because all she had to wear were some old, rirty dags. The night of the Bansy Fall arrived, but Rendersella could not go, so she just cat down and scried. She was kitten there a-scrying when all of a sudden her Gary Fodmother appeared. She waved her wagic mond, and all of a sudden there appeared before her a gig boach and hicks white sources to take her to the Bansy Fall. Her Gary Fodmother said to Rendersella, Rendersella, you must be home before Nidmite, or I'll burn you into a pumpkin. <laughs> so Rendersella went to the Bansy Fall, where she met the very Pransom Hints, who had been watching her through a wooden window. She and the Pransom Hints nanced all dight, and they lull and fub. <laughs> Suddenly, the mid-clock struck night. Rendersella staced down the rares, and just as she beached the rotom, she slopped her dripper. <laughs> the next day, the Pransom Hints went all over the corn country looking for the beautiful burl who had slopped her dripper. He finally came to Rendersella's house. He tried the slop dripper on Rendersella's mugly other, and it fitted it. He tried it on her two suggly bisters, and it fitted bit. He tried it on Rendersella, and it fidded it. It was exactly the sight rise. The next day, Rendersella and the Pransom Hints were married, and they lived everly hafter hapward. Now, the storle of the Mori is this. If you want to go to a Bansy Fall and have a Pransom Hints loll and fub with you, don't forget to slop your dripper. Now, that one's a, a bit turned around and backwards and upside down, isn't it? And, and what you need to know as we get started today is that pretty much everything that the world tells you about generosity and giving is just turned around and backwards. We think we own our stuff, but the Bible says it's all God's stuff. We think the purpose of money is to make us happy right here, right now. But God says the purpose of money is to make an eternal difference in other people's lives. We think that the way to be happy is to get lots of money and lots of stuff. But God says the way to be truly happy is to give, to be generous. 
See, the reality is when I am generous, I receive so very much. And I just want to tell you this morning, as your pastor, because I love you, because I want what's best for you, I want to tell you this. If you want the blessing of God on your life, if you want the power of God in your life, if you want the anointing of God through your life, then you must build your life on obedience to God's word and God's plan for the universe and God's will for your lives. And the Bible is clear that includes generosity. You know that God makes about 7,000 promises in the Bible. Someone has said that God's promises are like blank checks for us, that God says to us, if you do this, then I will do that. Lots of different kinds of promises, Uh, promises for success and promises for satisfaction and promises for fulfillment and blessing. Over 7,000 promises of God to us as his people. Here's the thing I want you to see in the Bible. The number one thing God makes promises about is generosity. There are more promises related to generosity in the Bible than any other subject. And and when I'm talking about generosity, I am not just talking about money. I'm talking about being generous with your time, generous with your energy, generous with your affirmations of other people, generous with your talents that you share those things, generous with every area of your life. There are so many more promises about generosity than about anything else. Now, why would God be so interested in generosity? Why is God so interested in us as his people learning how to be generous that that he would go to all the trouble of giving all kinds of promises and, and all kinds of rewards about this area more than any other area? And the answer really simply is that generosity is love in action. It's love in action. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You cannot be loving without being generous. See, if I tell my my wife that I love her, but I'm not generous with her, do I really love her? No. If I tell my kids that I love them, but I'm not generous with them, I don't really love my kids because love gives always. Love always gives. We know that, don't we? What's the most famous verse in all the Bible? John 3, 16. You know, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. See, generosity is just love in action. And that means if I'm not a generous person, then I'm not a loving person. I may think I am, and some of us do, but we're not, because love is all about giving. So I wonder if you've come to the place in your life where you accept that everything you have, everything in your life, every single thing, no exceptions, a gift from God, it is, all of it is. I want to tell you today, it'll be a great day in your life when you figure that out. Everything in your life will change. Do you realize that if, if God wasn't generous, you wouldn't be here? If God wasn't generous, you wouldn't have anything? Your heart would stop beating right now. God is such a generous God. He gives you air. He gives you sunshine. He gives you food. He gives you a mind to think. I mean, everything in our lives is just a sheer gift from God. Even your ability to earn, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you can look it up. Even the ability to earn is a gift from God. He gave it to you. See, God wants us to learn to be like him, to be generous like he is. What we're going to do today is I'm going to show you 10 things, 10 things that you get when you give, 
10 benefits for your life. And you may have noticed that this morning the, uh, the, the worship brochure is a little different than normal. We've got some extra resources that are here for you. I'm not going to go over them, but I want you to know they're here. Some things that can help you as you seek God and, and pray about your, your part in, in Next Gen, the spiritual initiative. But you will notice right now there's lots of extra room to write some things down, okay? So you can take lots of notes today. There's lots of verses for you to follow and think about. But they all come down to this. When I, when I give, I always get more than I give. There's benefits in my lives. So 10 things that happen to you and 10 things that happen in you every time you are generous. Number one, what do I get when I give? Well, when I give, I get, first of all, to honor God, to honor God. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is a recognition that everything I have is a gift from God. 2 Corinthians 9.13 says, You will be glorifying God through your generous gifts. Your generosity will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever is generous to the needy honors God. So when we are, are generous and we help people in need, we're not only helping them, we're honoring God. In fact, God's word commands us to honor him by being generous could spend a whole message on, on Proverbs 3, 9. Here, here's what it says. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, in the Hebrew text, that is a command. So it's something we either obey or we don't. I, I'm either obeying that or I'm not. Let me just ask you a question. Are you honoring God with your wealth? That would be a really good question for you to write down and put it in the first person. Am I honoring God with my wealth? It is, it's the kind of question that all of us should, should assess and weigh our, our lives about. Am I honoring God with my wealth? Whatever that means in, in my life. Now, this command also means the opposite because I can disobey it. If I am not generous, then I'm not honoring God. I am dishonoring God. Some of us may be dishonoring God with how we use our resources. So when we give, first thing, we get to honor God. Number two, when I give, I get to draw closer to God. See, generosity is an intensely spiritual thing. And, and generosity, the Bible says, draws me closer to God. Why is that true? Well, the Bible says, whatever I invest in always draws my heart to it. If I invest my time in something, if I invest my money in something, if I invest my energy in something, it could be anything. It could be a new car. In fact, have you ever bought a new car? It may just be new for you, but a new car, and then all of a sudden, everywhere you go, that car is everywhere. Have you noticed how that happens? Your heart has gone that direction because you've invested generally a lot of money in that thing, and now you're alert to it, you're aware of it, you're seeing it. That's just a law of the, of the universe that we invest God says our hearts are drawn to it. And it may not just be a new car. It could be a, a company that you're investing in, the stock you're investing in, a new business plan. But it's just reality. Wherever I invest my time and my money, my heart unavoidably follows. Alongside of that, it's just true. Whatever I give to shows what's important to me. So when I invest in God's work. When I'm a generous person, it not only honors God, but it actually draws me closer to him because as, as I put my resources into what God is all about in this world, his kingdom, his purposes, then it aligns my heart with him and draws me closer to him. 
Deuteronomy 14.23 says, The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. That's what it's about. Tithing is not about paying bills at a church. Tithing is ultimately about us growing closer to God. And so God says, you give the first part of your income, the first 10%, and we do it on the first day of the week because that's when we worship. And in doing that, what we're saying with our lives is, God, you are really number one. I'm recognizing it all came from you. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. See, wherever you put your resources, wherever you put your money, that is where your heart goes. It's inescapable. It's the the way the universe works. And so if you want to be closer to God, part of what needs to happen is that you invest what God has given you in that direction. It draws you closer to him. Number three, when I give, I get, third benefit, I get to become more like Jesus. Now, these numbers two and three are really linked closely together, but maybe, maybe let me make it really clear. Generosity makes me more like Jesus, God's son. Wouldn't you agree that the most generous person who ever lived was Jesus Christ? We know that because Jesus gave what? He gave his own life. He died on the cross for us. And the Bible says that we have been saved because of the generosity of Jesus. That means that every time you give, whether it's time or money or energy, whatever it is, you become more like Jesus. Every time you give, it means your heart grows bigger. Every time you give, you're, you're becoming more like Jesus, however your generosity is expressed. Proverbs 21, 26 says, The greedy always want more, but the godly love to give. And so a characteristic of being godly, which is another way of saying of being like Jesus Christ, a characteristic of godliness is that you're generous. You want to give. It's it's part of who you are. It also works in reverse. You know, if you're not following God and you're not growing in godliness, then you're not going to be interested in, in generosity. Generosity and godliness always go together. Philippians 2, 4, and 7 is a passage that my heart was drawn to this week as I was thinking about this. And, and it's this beautiful, this whole chapter is just amazing about how Jesus Christ sacrificed everything for us on our behalf. Verses 4 through 7 tells us this, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Have you ever stopped, I mean really stopped and and really pondered what Jesus sacrificed so that you could know him? What Jesus sacrificed so that you could be in relationship with the Father? He gave up the incredible eternal riches of heaven, the beauty that he had known from all eternity past. He gave it up so that you and I could know him. That means That means if we're going to be like him, we also need to be people who who give up, who are generous with others. A few years ago, um, I had an experience that some of you have had in in your your life, I know, as a parent. Um, I I took my family one Saturday to Burger King, and and what happened there that night had happened before, really. Um, It happened after that, and, and I'm sure it's happened to you guys as well. We were eating, and and I finished my burger, and I finished my fries, and while I'm sitting there, I just kind of casually reached over toward the pile of french fries that one of my kids still had to get one. Anybody see where this one's going? 
You've been there, right? And I, I just said, can I have one? And this child, kid, who shall remain nameless, said, no, it's mine. It's mine. Now, I have four kids. Today, I've been a parent for almost 28 years. My kids are grown up. And, you know, over the years, I got used to stuff like that, and you probably got used to it too. But when something like that happens, don't certain thoughts run through your mind? (laughs) Thoughts like, you ungrateful little chump. (laughs) Where do you think those french fries come from anyway? (laughs) You do not realize who you're dealing with, do you? I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. <laughs> you know, actually, when something like that happens as a parent, three thoughts kind of run through my mind. And the first one is I realized, you know, my child has forgotten that I am the source of all fries. <laughs> that kid would have no French fries in his life if it were not for me. I drove him there. I bought the fries. I paid for the fries. I carried the fries over to his table and put them down in front of him. He would have no fries at all in his life if it weren't for his father, right? And then second, I realized that my child does not see that I could take all those fries away from him if I wanted to. Or If I wanted to, I could buy him 50 bags of fries, bury him in in the greasy things, and make him eat his greasy self out. Because I'm in charge. He's not. And then third, I realize I don't really need his fries. If I need more fries, I can go over and buy myself way more fries than I should eat. Right? Right? What I really want is I just want my kid to learn how to share. Do you realize that those are really the same three reasons that God wants you to learn generosity? See, God does not need your money. It all belongs to him anyway. It wasn't yours before you were born, and when you die, it won't be yours then. He just loans it to you for a while while you're here on this earth. It's all his. You see, God is the source of all fries, (laughs) And everything you have in your life, everything I have in mind, well, if God didn't love us and God wasn't generous with us, we would have none of it. And, and again, God could take all of it away from us in an instant, just like that, if it was his desire. And God, at the same time, could also, if he desired, give you ten times what he's given you, couldn't he? See, all he really wants is for you to learn how to be unselfish. Why? Because God is a fry giver. God is generous, and he wants us to be like that as well. You see, generosity makes me like Jesus, makes me like Christ. Number four, when I give, I get to defeat materialism. The Bible teaches that generosity is the cure for materialism. You know, materialism is really all about getting. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. That's what some people, you know, how they live. And, you know, materialism is about finding my security, finding my satisfaction, finding my meaning in life in the things that I own. And I am telling you today, friends, the only antidote to materialism, the only way to break its grip on our lives is to give. 
is kind of an interesting thing. I was thinking about this this week because I think most of us would say, if we were to be asked, we would say, I'm not really a materialistic person. I was thinking about how all the small groups I've been in, all the discussions I've been in with people, and you know, we, we talk about how we want to grow closer to Christ, and many times part of that is we, we start talking about some of the things we need help with, maybe confessing some areas in our lives. And I, I struggle with, with lust, or I struggle with anger, or I struggle with you know, time management, or I struggle with you know, pride or something like that. I've heard people confess all these different kind of things. You know what? In 30 years of being a pastor, to this day, I have still never heard someone say, you know what? I'm just a greedy person. No one ever admits to that one because most of us would never think that's us. Most of us might think, oh, you have to be rich to be greedy. Oh, no. There are some people who have very, very little who are at the same time very, very greedy. It's not about how much you have. It's about how you see what you have. See, Jesus said... If you're not generous, then you are materialistic. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You might want to circle that word, cannot. Notice that Jesus said you, he did not say you should not serve both God and money. He said you can't. It's impossible You can't have two gods in your life. You have to decide what is important to you, having more or having God, serving God. Is God number one in my life or is my stuff number one in my life? He says you can't have it both ways. And we just live in a consumer-driven culture. And part of the reason we don't confess to this, we don't see ourselves in this, is we're just so immersed in this. It's like fish don't know they're in water. We just are in this culture of materialistic things. And it's just very easy for us to think that my net worth determines my self-worth, that my, my values are equated to my valuables. It's easy to think that way. And we're just bombarded daily by advertising. You know, life is just full of pop-up ads, isn't it? Have you noticed that? Everywhere you go, some is popping up and trying to get you to want something, trying to get you to, 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 to think you need something. I was just thinking about this recently, how Satan has developed a pretty new tool that he likes to use uh, to make us materialistic. It's called Pinterest. (laughs) You know, you just see stuff and you say, I didn't even know that existed, but now I know it's there. I want it. I need it. I have to have it. How did I ever live before I had that? You know how that goes. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, command those who are rich. And by the way, stop right here for a moment. Everybody listening right now, I hate to tell you this, we're all rich. You might be unemployed, but if you live in America, you're still probably rich. The poorest of the poor in our country are far wealthier than the vast majority of the people who live in the rest of the world. Anybody heard this thing we got going around now about the one percenters? Who's heard about the one percenters, you know, this deal about inequality? And we have probably different perspectives on what that means uh, in our, our culture. But let me tell you something. Are you ready for this? In the context of our whole world, do you know how much you have to make in a year to be in the one percent of the world? You'll want to write this down and think about it. If you make more than $32,400 in a year, you are a one percenter in our world. We have so much. So very, very much. 
Paul says, command those who are rich, and that's all of us, in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Maybe you want to circle that word enjoyment, because God wants you to enjoy life. That's why he gives this world such beauty, and there's so many experiences for us to have. He's just a generous God. Everything is provided for our enjoyment. Command them, that's us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, when you give, you get to defeat materialism. And it's the only way. It's the only way to break that grip of material things on your life Be by being generous. Number five, when I give, I get to demonstrate my faith. To demonstrate my faith. Do you realize that every time, every time you give, it demonstrates your faith? Why? Well, it shows that you're trusting in God's promises. It shows that you're not trusting just in your own abilities. It shows really what you believe. It shows that you believe that God will take care of you even when you obey him by being generous with some of your stuff. 2 Corinthians 9.13 says, your giving proves the reality of your faith. Philemon 1.6 says, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Do you understand, friends, that stinginess is caused by unbelief? See, I don't really believe that God will take care of me. I don't really believe that if I give some of what I have away that I'll still have enough for myself. That's worry. That's anxiety. That's fear. It's ultimately unbelief. When I'm not generous, the reason at the bottom of it is I don't believe God. On the other hand, when I believe God is a natural outflow of that I am generous. It's a very famous verse in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10, and, and you've probably heard the sermons on it before, but it's a verse where God dares his people to trust his promises. He says this, this is God speaking, bring the whole tithe, that's 10%, into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? Well, it was the temple then. Uh, today, the, the, uh, the analog of that would be it's our place where we worship. And God says, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, I do not think, and God is not saying here that this is a way you get wealthy. Some people teach that. They're wrong. What God is saying is far better than that. This is a way you experience God's provision and blessing in your life. And that comes in a multitude of forms, different things to different ones of us. But, but giving always demonstrates our faith in God. And that's what God is after. He says, test me in this. Do you trust me to provide for you when you're generous? You know, as part of our next-gen season, uh, I want you to know today, and uh, this is been something that we've been praying about as a leadership team, that, that your leadership team here, which is your pastors and your elders, there's nine families that are part of this. We are taking this Next Gen Challenge seriously. 
And we are going ahead of you. We have been praying ahead of time and, and, and walking this journey ahead of time in our own lives, in our own homes. And, and I'm, I want to tell you today that this team of nine families has committed over $160,000. And this is ultimately a declaration of faith in God. There are a number of us who don't know where what we've committed is all going to come from. But we're trusting God to provide because we believe we believe that he has told us this is what we are to do individually and then together collectively. Do you know this is also, this commitment we have made a declaration of faith in you as a Southwinds family, that you, you will follow us in demonstrating faith on your own behalf? You know, as I've been praying and as I've been thinking about how, how next gen may be uh, this new season in the life of some of us in a, in a, a way to experience God's working our lives, and we've never done before. I, I, think, I think that next gen may be a chance for some of us to start trusting God in a new way. And here's something I want to suggest. Maybe some of us can use this season to actually take this challenge that God gives us in Malachi and start tithing completely, fully 10%. See, some of you have never trusted God in that way, and it would be a huge step forward if you were to commit a full tithe to the Lord for a period of time. What if you were to take what you've been giving, which is just a percentage of, of what a tithe would be, and then you would say, Lord, I'm going to give what I've been giving, but then the rest of that up to a tithe, I am now going to commit to this next-gen initiative. Would that be a challenge that God is speaking to some of you? I don't know if it is. I don't know who God put that on my heart for, but I just want to put it out there. If, if you are not tithing, Would you trust God in that way? God, in essence, is saying to us, I dare you. I dare you. Will you test me? Because generosity is about trust. It's about faith. And if I'm generous, I'm trusting God. I'm demonstrating my faith in him. But if I'm not, then I'm not trusting God. That's number five. Number six, when I give, I get to reveal my character. In other words, generosity shows the kind of heart I really have. Do I have a selfish heart? Do I have an unselfish heart? Do I have a generous heart or do I have a stingy heart? Generosity shows what my heart is really like. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that God uses money to test what's really inside of you. He uses money to test and see if he can trust you with more. God says in his word, listen to this, that if you are faithful with small things, he will give you more things as a trust. God says, if you are faithful with what is not your own, that means all the stuff we have on this earth, God says, I'm just loaning that to you. You're stewarding it, managing it for me. If you are faithful in that, I will give you greater blessing in eternity. I don't know if you ever realized this, but the rewards and responsibilities that you have in heaven are going to be based on how you manage your financial material resources here on earth. Some of you are going, what? Where did that come from? Well, Luke 16, 11. Look at this verse. Jesus said this, not, not me. Jesus said, if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, in other words, you don't manage your money well, and part of that is not being generous. If you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And the answer is no one. God won't. See, our responsibilities and our rewards in heaven are going to be based on, built on how we handle what God has given to us in the here and now, right now. What did you do with what you've been given here? 
And I want to share with you three questions that, it, that I think all of us will be having the opportunity to ask as we walk this next-gen journey together. And, and almost all of us are going to ask question number one. But our character is going to be revealed in whether or not we ask questions two and three. And our character is going to be revealed in how we answer those questions. Question number one is this, and probably good for you to write these down so you can be thinking about them. This is the question number one that most of us will ask, and the question is, what can I reasonably give? Because if you're part of the Southwinds family, we're assuming that you're on board and you just want to have a part in it. And this is where most of us start, and most of us will start in this way. We will look at our resources, and we will often do this fairly quickly and fairly casually, and we will say to ourselves, well, what could I afford to do? And many of us will come up with a number pretty quickly, and we'll think, oh, okay, I could do that. And what we want to suggest to you is if that's the only question that we ask, then we won't be really walking this journey together because there's some more important questions to ask. And here's the second question. Not only what can I reasonably give, but what can I sacrifice? Are there some things in my life that I do as a matter of course? They're not things that are wrong. They're not things that are sin. They're just things that I do that I don't have to do. And it probably wouldn't be a huge sacrifice for me to do without some things for a period of time so that I can make a long-term and eternal investment. Anybody think that they have a few things in, in their life that they don't have to do, that they could sacrifice? You know, I could give a whole lot of examples of this, and some of, some of the different examples, some of you will go, well, I don't do that. That's fine. You may not do that one, but everybody does something. Probably the most common example, just easy to throw out there to get us thinking about it, is just this thing of eating out, right? Lots of us eat out, and lots of us eat out lots of times. We've put this in some of the material just as an example, but if, do you realize that if uh, you as a family were to give up eating out one time a week for three years and assume that it was $35, let's say you're a family of four, Right? That's like, that's like going to McDonald's for a family of four and getting an extra milkshake, you know, right? Am I right? Do you realize that if you gave up $35 a week for three years, it would be $5,460? What could you sacrifice in your life? What could you do without? And you probably at the end of three years, wouldn't notice it. I mean, if it's eating out, you probably would notice it because you might weigh less than you do right now. <laughs> See, part of what we're saying is just for each of us to kind of take a journey and look at our life and just seriously think, what do I have in my life that I would be, three years from now, I would be so much more fulfilled if I had done without these things and known that I'd given to something that's going to last forever. I probably wouldn't even notice the sacrifice some sacrifices you might, and those are worthy too. But are you asking these questions? The first question is, what can I reasonably give? The second question is, what can I sacrifice? And you can kind of walk through some resources we've given you to think through what those areas might be. But here's the third question, and this is, this is kind of the, the biggest test of all. And the third question is, what can I trust God for? This is when God leads us in some ways and maybe speaks to our heart. And we feel like God is saying, I, I want you to, to share and be generous at this level. And you're saying, I don't know where all that's going to come from. I want to tell you that uh, your pastors and elders are, are making commitments. And we don't know 
individually where all of what we've committed is going to come from. But we believe God has led us to this place. And so we've made a commitment. And God is, we're trusting him to make the provision over the next three years. And this is where God really does some incredible things. And God is calling some of you to take a step like that and to say, I don't know where that's going to come from, but I believe God has put it on my heart to do this. I'm going to trust him. And you who do this, I'm telling you, you're going to get to go on an adventure with God. And you're going to be so glad you did. God's going to do some things in your life. He's going to provide in your life in such a way that you're going to be amazed and you're going to get to reveal the character that God has put into your life. It's an opportunity for you. Will you ask those questions in your life and let God speak to you, whatever, whatever it means. Let me, let me add one thing here, okay, real quick. I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. We're all different people in different phases and stages of our lives different levels of resources, and I want to be sure that all of us know, especially if you're thinking, sitting here today thinking, I really do not have much at all in my life. If that's where you are, do not feel diminished. Do not feel that you don't have a place to contribute. The Bible is so very clear that God calls us wherever you are to do whatever he tells us to do. And for some of us, it may be uh, something smaller, and some of us, it may be something larger. But our responsibility is just to follow God's leadership. You remember what God's, Jesus said when he saw at the temple one day about this, this widow, an older woman who was all on her own, and she put in two pennies into the offering box while surrounding her were all these people who were flamboyantly putting in, you know, dumping the whole bag of cash, and it was making all this noise. Jesus said she gave more than everyone else because she sacrificed what she had. And so whatever God is doing in your life, wherever you are in your life, if you follow God, you are doing what he says, then that's what really matters. And I want everyone to feel that they can have a part in this and make a difference in this. Here's number seven. When I give, I get to experience God's blessing. Now, I could give you 100 verses on this that just tell us generosity brings God's blessing. And it just means if we want to experience God's blessing in our lives, we must learn not to be stingy. We must learn to be open-handed with what God gives to us. We must learn to help other people with what we have. It's just, it's just a, a truth of life. Uh, let me show you a couple of verses. Proverbs 22, 9 says, Blessed are those who are generous. Now, you either believe that or you don't. But again, it's God's word. It's not my word. I didn't say it. I believe God said it. Therefore, it's true. Amen? Blessed are those who are generous. Deuteronomy 15.10 says, Give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. You want God to bless your work? He will bless you in everything you put your hand to. You want God to bless you in everything you put your hand to? The answer is just to be a generous person. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8 says, You should each give then as you have decided. You decide under the Lord's leadership, not me telling you, not anyone telling you, not with regret or out of a sense of duty, for God loves the one who gives gladly. And God is able to give you more than you need so that you will always have all you need for yourselves and more than enough for every good cause. See, the Bible is so clear. Generosity brings God's blessing. When you give, you get God's blessing. Number eight, when I give, I get to increase my happiness. 
Who here wants to be happy? Who votes for happiness? Is that everybody? Those of you who don't raise your hands, you just want to be sad. You want to be mad. You just want to be a cranky person. Is that what you want in your life? Who wants to be sad, mad, and cranky? Nobody, right? Everybody wants to be happy. Well, what does the Bible say about being happy? I've joked about this before. Some of you have heard me say this, but there's this really famous saying, and sometimes sometimes I forget who said it, and sometimes I need to ask people to help me remember who said it. Maybe you guys know who said this. The saying goes like this. You can tell me who said it. It is more blessed to give than receive. I always forget who says that. (laughs) Who said that? Um, Jesus, right? Do you believe that? So here's the question. Everybody says, yes, I believe that. But not everybody does what Jesus says. If you say, I believe it's more blessed to give than to receive, but you don't give, then here's the truth. You don't believe Jesus. Because if you did, you'd be generous, right? Are you with me on this? Does that make sense? See, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And as we give, we experience happiness. I mean, think about Christmas. When I was a child at Christmas, what did I care about? I cared most of all when I was a child about what I got. My presence didn't really care about anyone else. You know, if I, my sister got better presence than me, that was a problem. You know, that's what I was worried about when I was a child. But, you know, that was a long time ago. And I was immature, and I was self-centered. And now, now, you know, as a dad, now at Christmas, it's not about the presence I get. I mean, besides the fact that the presents I get usually were purchased with my money, um, <laughs> it's not about the presence I get, right? I mean, dads, we all know how that is, isn't it? Yeah. And, and so, you know, what, it really, what it's really about, what I really find joy in is, is seeing my family's face light up right? When they, they get something that I was able to give them. Now, why is it like that? The simple answer is because I grew up. <laughs> I stopped, it stopped being about me. It's called maturity. And unfortunately, some people never grow up. And even some people at 80 years old, it's still all about them. What am I getting out of this? And they, they haven't learned the joy of generosity. Generosity increases happiness. When you give, you get happiness. You get Joy. Now, some of you are thinking right now, well, you know, yeah, I, I guess, but if I, 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 if I just had a lot, then I would be generous. Then I would give a lot away. And I want to say, no, you wouldn't. I guarantee you wouldn't. Why? Because if you're not being generous right now with what you have, you're not going to be generous when you have more. It's about what's in your heart, not about how much you give. But this is such a great benefit. When you give, you get to increase your happiness. Number nine, when I give, I get to experience God's protection. Now, a lot of people may not know this one, but, but actually the Bible teaches that generosity brings God's protection to our lives, to our families, to our businesses. Uh, here, here's one passage, Psalm 112, verses 5 and 6 says, All goes well for the generous man who conducts his business fairly. So very practical, real earth describes a person of integrity and generosity. The, the psalmist says, such a man will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. Now notice this. It doesn't say you're not going to have evil circumstances. It says you won't be overthrown. 
Everybody has tough times. Everybody has problems. Everybody faces evil circumstances. You will have them in your life. This is not a promise of a problem-free life. But when you're generous, God says, I will make sure you're not overthrown. I will make sure you're not blown away by the evil circumstances that happen in your life. It goes on, the psalmist says, God's constant care of him will make a deep impression on all who see it. People around will see how God is working in your life, how God blesses even when things go wrong. Generosity brings God's protection. And then finally, number 10, when I give, I get to be rewarded in heaven. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19 again says, tell them to use their money to do good. I circle that word use because it reminds us that money is to be used. It is not to be loved. If you use money, then you will love people. But if you love money, then you will use people. Money is just a tool. Money is not good or bad. It's a neutral thing. You can use it for good or use it for bad. And there's really nothing evil about money. It, it just, it's just how we, we use it that determines. People sometimes say, well, doesn't the Bible say money is the root of all evil? And the answer is no, it doesn't. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so we are to love people and use money, not the other way around. And so he says, use your money to do good, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. So you can't take it with you. I heard somebody say a long time ago, I don't know who first said it, but they said, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> you know, you can't take it with you, but it, this is true. You can send it on ahead. How do you do that? Well, four times in Scripture, Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven. And the way you do that is by investing in the people who are going there. One example of that would be by investing what God is doing here at Southwinds through the season of next gen. This is about helping people know Jesus, getting people into heaven, helping them grow, getting them strong, seeing their lives change. He says that's investing in heaven. Do you understand that every Sunday here at Southwinds, there are around 500 students and children that are having uh, God's blessings and God's teaching poured into their lives. Some of them are your kids, and it's happening because people are generous and make the ministry of this church possible. 500 kids. Think of how different their lives will be because of your generosity. We have 50 small groups that are happening, and many of you are part of that. And this is an outflow of the ministry of this, this church. Think of the difference in your life that the small groups have made, the fellowship and the, the, the partnership you have with other people, how your life has been encouraged because you're in relationship with them. We have a thriving Celebrate Recovery ministry. Think about all the lives that have been turned around and changed forever because of that ministry. It's here because people have invested in eternity. And they're going to be rewarded for that in heaven. And one of the most important things that Jesus said is actually this last verse. It's our last one today, Luke 16, 9. And this is Jesus talking. He says, I tell you, use your worldly resources, that's your money, to benefit others, not yourself, others. Make friends. And you say, what did he mean by that? Well, I'll come back. Make friends with your money. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. Now, what, is this, what does this mean? 
Jesus is not saying, go out and buy a bunch of friends. All right? That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this. Take some of your resources and use your money to build bridges of friendship that bring people to Jesus who are then going to be saved and who are then going to spend eternity with you. And when you get to heaven, you will see people in heaven and some of them you will not know, but God will give them supernatural insight and they will approach you and they will say, I just want to say thank you because you gave and it impacted my life in this way. I came to know Jesus and you never knew about it, but because you gave, I'm here Thank God for all you did. I'm in heaven because of you, and I'm your friend forever. Anybody want to experience that one day? See, is anybody going to be in heaven because of your generosity? See, I believe that God's going to bless me with lots of friends in heaven, and it's not just because I'm a pastor. Part of that is going to be because I made a commitment a long time ago to tithe what God gives me, and beyond that, to be generous with my resources, to make sacrifices in my life so that I can invest in eternity. And I think God's going to reward that. I think I'm going to one day not only hear, well done, good and faithful servant, I hope that's what I'm going to hear one day, but I think one day I'm going to hear from some people, thank you, Mike, because you gave, my life was changed. I was just part of a church where I gave and people's lives were changed forever. That's what rewards in heaven really mean. Um, and those are rewards, rewards that we'll have forever. They're not going to go away. Everything I invest in others, everything I invest in God's work, I will gain again in heaven. I mean, our generosity <laughs> is always rewarded in heaven. Now, as we wrap this up this morning, I just want to remind you, we have a goal in next gen. $2.5 million. We have a $5.9 million project, and so you know, our anticipation is we're going to pay for part of it and have to finance the rest of it. And we're praying that we would see at least $2.5 million come in from the, the families of this church. And on May 22nd, just three weeks from today, we're going to have Commitment Sunday. I hope you'll be here. I hope you'll, you'll make plans uh, to be part of this and pray diligently about what God would have you do. I want you to know it's going to take every one of us participating. This is not a church full of wealthy people. It's just a church with people who love Jesus, who love the people Jesus died for, and who love Jesus' kingdom and want to see it advance and grow so that lives are changed. So I just want to encourage you, wherever you are in your life, will you consider what God wants you to do? Will you make the sacrifices God's calling you to make? Please don't miss out on all that God wants to do in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your head now, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we uh, close our service together today. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask you, we ask you today that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. Lord, I, I just pray that no one would be distracted by um, Satan's schemes. Uh, so, some of us, Lord, may be struggling right now and thinking, oh, church is always about money and coming after my stuff, Lord. Um, voices like that are not, not from you. And Lord, we want everyone just to be able to participate or not according to your leadership. It's not about us twisting arms or anything like that. Just help us, Lord, each one of us to listen to you and to do what you say. 
We ask this now, Father, in, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, as we celebrate your supper together.